Yes, there have been other technological media revolutions, the ones I've already mentioned, radio, TV, etc. They did not collect and harvest data about people in the same way that these platforms do. And that's and that is the really, really worrying aspect of it. That is the part that we have to be concerned about. Uh, welcome to another episode of Chatter. Uh, today we have Ollie Dugmore, formerly of Tab Media, uh, content editor at LBC, and now the head of news and politics at Joe Media since January 2018. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, mate. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Um, yeah, th- thanks for thanks for agreeing to chat to me. It was uh, <laughs> great to 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 be able to talk to someone who's been producing such fantastic viral content. The uh, the video of, of Keir Starmer for, uh, <laughs> and the uh, the Jungle Book is just, I think I watched it like 10 times. I laughed so much. <laughs> yeah, we've got, um, we have a, a really, really talented video editor who makes those videos, um, Swede Mason, um, and also, you know, some of my other colleagues, uh, Niles Bearded Genius on Twitter, who writes the lyrics and assorted other people who sort of assist with the motion graphics side of things. In this case, a guy called Dan, Dan Orr, who's, at is uh, huge underscore hog uh, if you want to find him <laughs> um, uh, those guys you know um, it, you know they sort of uh, they, they they produce those videos and they almost certainly always travel incredibly far and I think it's because you know what they they utilize politicians own words and even though it's an edit and we've created the sentences they're often actually quite on the nose and they sort of speak 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 a truth um and you know that's i think that's what the best the best satire does right it, it utilize it you don't have to fabricate things about people uh you can just use you can just use their own words to to achieve that mm. no i the, the the reaction i saw from from left-wing twitter was just like oh my god this is what we've been saying for months and suddenly someone else has finally realized it <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't there was some, yeah there was obviously sort of you know leftists were very pro it and then also you know there was a good a good whack of um you know sort of other centrists or moderates in the labor party that were like you know you're creating tory propaganda uh you know all that sort of stuff which i don't which i just don't i don't buy because you know i mean you don't have to look very far into our other you know edits to suggest that we're in any way like tory propagandists i don't think that argument holds much weight um but, you know, just by t- taking the piss out of someone, uh, you know, producing satire, producing comedy, I don't think it necessarily, um, it's, it's important to have those, those aspects as part of your sort of political ecosystem, political media ecosystem. Uh, and yes, I, and maybe they do highlight a broader truth, but th- if anything, that's just a reason to address it rather than, uh, rather, rather than ignore it. Mm, I couldn't agree more. Like, I mean, the, the 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 that argument that people throw out, like left and right, where they they talk about things being being propaganda, or you know, you're just like reinforcing the Tory narrative or the Labour narrative or the leftists thing. Um, like 
I don't understand how that became part of of like politics in in the 21st century. Like like I mean, I guess I guess Watergate was all like democrat propaganda. Like <laughs> like like criticizing someone doesn't make it doesn't make you like like automatically part of the other team. Like there used to be this thing where the media were like outside of that. Um but I I guess that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. So, how did you first get get involved in in journalism? Like, what's your your first sort of when was your first foray into the the, the world of the written word? Um, yeah, so I um I started a, a newspaper at my school at sixth form, uh, which was fun and an excuse for me and all my mates to hang out on Thursday afternoons, and they gave us our own office in the sixth form centre. Um, so. <laughs> uh, you know, I, maybe it was the desire to speak truth to power, or maybe it was just like quite a simple sort of status thing, uh, <laughs> where we sort of, you know, had our own little room that looked out over the rest of every, everyone else in the common room, <laughs> um, and also, you know, a healthy stock of our own our own supply of sort of bourbon biscuits and stuff, which was, uh, you know, maybe, it wasn't the only reason we did it, but it certainly made things a bit easier. And then, um, <laughs> we, and then I, uh, I started writing for the tab. Uh, at uni, um, became the editor of the tab at Cardiff where I went to uni and then they gave me a job in London and sort of, yeah, that sort of led me, led me to here. Mm. Is that what you saw yourself doing growing up? Because a lot of people have, have asked me is like, like, did you see yourself like, I don't know, writing when, when you were younger? And I was always just like, nope, did not see, <laughs> I did not imagine this is where my life was going. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't, I don't, well, I don't remember this, but my, um, my grandma tells me that before I could write, uh, I used to demand that that she would uh, sit next to me and I would dictate stories to her, to her, to, for her to write down, um, <laughs> uh, which is quite amusing. So I guess if that, if that is the case, uh, then I suppose you could say then yeah maybe. Um, but no, I never really, I never really had like firm ideas or ideals about you know this is the career I want or this is the direction I want to go in I just I did it at uh, I did it at school because I enjoyed it um I did it at uni because I enjoyed it and it was fun and you know I guess the same reason why anyone gets involved in like any other society or you know joins bands or plays in a sports team is because you know you meet you meet people you make friends and it yeah it was it was really, really fun. And I actually, I quite, what I quite liked about the tab as well is that you're sort of, for people who aren't familiar with um, sort of <laughs> student newspapers, which admittedly is quite a niche market, but, um, you know, the tab often at a lot of unis is sort of the the, the sort of um, the foil to the sort of more stuffy, um, you know, print newspapers that are run out of the SU and it has it's a bit more tongue in cheek. It's a bit more tabloid. Um, it's a bit more piss take and I quite enjoyed, I really quite enjoyed that element of it. Um, and that sort of, I think, I think you could draw a parallel between that and what we do at Joe, right. And the way, and the way we sort of are quite irreverent and often are sort of taking the piss out of our other media competitors. Um, it's always been, it's always been something that I've, yeah, that I've enjoyed. So I don't know, there's that, um, What's the, the uh, that like Baz Luhrmann song? You know, the really cliche. It's like a, it's now it's become like a list of cliches, but it's like that graduation speech. Um, and it's like you know the most interesting people you know are the ones who when they're forty they still don't know what they want to do. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe myself as that 
because I, I, I like doing what I'm doing now. I think I'm going to carry on doing it. Um, and if I was to do something else, I don't think it would be, you know, like corporate or working in London. It would be doing what you do, I guess, like traveling to a foreign country and just working in a bar or something and just, you know, drinking rum on a beach somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I prefer yeah, Jägermeister. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's much, <laughs> that's much more Alpine. Yeah. Mm. That's much more Alpine. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't, I, looking back, I guess you could say like, oh, it seems like this has always been the thing that you wanted to do or you're always on a path to doing, but it never felt that way. Mm. So do you think that the, the, the kind of sort of irreverent tongue in cheek sort of style of, of journalism that you, you kind of highlighted there at Joe and is, is the best way in the modern world, or at least for to get sort of the attention of like Gen Zers and, and millennials is like to, to, to be sort of just like taking the piss and like posting your memes and, and like trying to be sort of ironically not serious about it, but at the same time being serious about it. Do you think that's like the, the, the best way in, in like our, our modern media environment to get attention to or to bring attention to perhaps more serious things that you, you actually want to highlight yeah so i think if if you were to if you were to um scroll through the politics joe twitter feed i think you know obviously the stat there the standout and often the things that do travel the furthest are those sort of viral you know piss take funny edits um although they still speak to they, you know they still speak to a broader truth they still speak they still speak to something important in our politics then i'm not saying they don't have any value but I, but I think what they also serve to do is they bring people to your platform. You know, they, they increase the amount of followers you have. They put eyeballs on your brand. And then, if you, as I said, if you scroll through that feed, you know, the majority of the stuff we publish on there is not sort of, um, you know, totally sort of satire or, or, or uh, you know, just sort of, you know, comedy or, or memes. There's, there's a lot of hard editorial, too. Um, you know, for a publisher like us, I think it serves a purpose because it sort of it, it it acts as that funnel, if you like. You know, it sort of it broadens the funnel, it brings people in, and then you can show them other things, and you can talk to them about you know broader, more more serious stuff. But yeah, like the the power of the meme and the politics of the meme. I mean, I'm sure it's the the basis of basically every single undergraduate dissertation that's written in any politics department across the <laughs> across the country. But like it's true like look okay so you know bernie at inauguration bernie sanders at, at inauguration with his mittens um you know that's they that's been turned into merch on his website that's now been sold for millions of dollars and is all going as um you know all, all is is going as uh charitable donations he's raised millions of dollars for charity via this meme right you know it, that's that's a clear example it's not just it's not just like an online thing that only kids are into like there are tangible like if you know how to use it properly there are tangible real world benefits to this stuff mm. um and you know even even if it's just shifting people's perceptions still really important um but yeah like obviously aoc another example right i know i'm giving you american examples but like aoc is on twitch um you know she often does instagram lives uh, she has millions of followers and as a result of this has this huge groundswell of sort of grassroots supporters behind her. Um, again, you know, slightly more sinister, but still focusing on digital and social media, looking at sort of um, 2016 Brexit referendum, the use of micro-targeted ads by the Leave campaign, which, you know, they dumped basically their entire budget into that. I mean, 
just follow, follow the money. If that's what they're doing, they obviously think they're getting dividends from it. They obviously think it's important. Um, and same for political campaigns now, you know, digital spending just is increasing and increasing and increasing. Um, you know, the, the work by the Tories in the 2019 general election, you know, the, what they were doing on social was incredibly clever. You might disagree with it ethically, mm. um, you know, for example, like, you know, rebranding your party political account as like a fact check account. Oh, but, yeah, the, but, the thing, but the thing about that is, is okay, everyone starts, everyone starts saying, okay, you know, the, Tor- the Tories, have, this is outrageous, they've rebranded themselves as an objective fact checker account. And then it's then on all the news bulletins. But what else are they saying on the news bulletins? They're also carrying the Tory message. They're also saying the Conservative Party rebranded itself as a fact check account. And um, and and during the leaders' debate, uh, fact checked Jeremy Corbyn's speech. Well, even if that's the limit of the news bulletin on radio, on TV, you know, on a subconscious level, people are still going, "Oh yes, the Tories were fact checking Corbyn." You know, right on or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and and mm. so. It's like I think the way they use social media during during the election campaign was incredible was incredibly intelligent and and I've actually often left Labour uh, in in the dust. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that they they managed to leapfrog Labour in that 2017. Um, like Labour really destroyed them online. Like the, they were just far far smarter. Um, it's like in, in every way, in, in the way they used the, the support, in the way they used adverts, in the way they used memes, and like they were on, they got like, I think they got like a million views on, on, a, on a Snapchat advert in 2017. It was insane. And I just want to mm-hmm. take your point about uh, the amount of micro-targeted ads that got used in the, the Brexit campaign to uh, shamelessly plug my book that's out at the end of the, the month in which I talk a lot about this. Um, like the, the One of the biggest points I make is that the Leave campaign paid for 1 billion advert impressions. Like 1 billion. And if you don't think that made a difference, as you very much pointed out, then these, these guys who are, who are getting paid a shit ton of money to then spend even more money on, on online adverts, if you think they're wasting their money, then, I mean, I don't think you've been paying attention. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and the, 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 other, the other one that I definitely uh, think, think is important is like Donald Trump wouldn't have been president without the memes. He, he, he literally just got memed into the presidency to, st- to steal a phrase from Tim Pool. Like, he, he, I, I can't, like, the, the memes, like, the, they made his victory worth it for me. Like, it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, look, yeah, so the, this, is a really, this is a really, really good point. And, um, you know, I saw it when I was over in, Amer- in, in America covering the last election. We, we went to this... Um, voters for trump rally in florida and it's it's insane there's literally there's thousands of boats you know going down this waterway um and and how do they all know where to turn up and what time it's organized in facebook groups like there's this there's this enormous power um behind what they were doing and also as well the sort of the counterintuitive way it's and and it's it's sort of what bush did bush started it and and trump replicated it which was Admittedly, Bush was sort of pre-social, but if you can if you can um, provoke the uh, sort of uh, media commentators, the metropolitan elite, which is a lazy term, but I'll, I'll use it here. Whatever if you can provoke them into sort of mocking you, uh, or, de- or or chiding you, or deriding you. Oh, you know, he talks with he talks with such a thick accent, or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't get fooled again. You know, whatever whatever it is. 
um, if those people mock you, then people who identify with George Bush, i.e., you know, let's say the 30 million Texans who speak in the same same way that he does, well, all of a sudden you've got, well, they're taking the piss out of him, that like who's a presidential candidate. What do they think about me? Like, you know, I just I just live I live on a ranch. Like, you know, I I, I heard cattle. Like, what well, if that's what they think of a guy who's got that far in life, what what the fuck do they have to say about me? And Trump replicated that, which is if you get if you know all of these Twitter voices and and you know obviously the media as well, and that then plays out on social. You can get if you can get them to sort of as as they did sort of you know mock him, deride him. And then all of a sudden, if people if people have been thinking, oh, I quite like him, actually, or I like what he's saying about this. And then you see the sort of the broader establishment and media environment mocking him. Well, it then follows, OK, well, they obviously th- they, they must think the same about me then. Like, why would, I, why would I pay any attention to what these guys have to say, what they think or their politics? And I think uh, Trump harnessed that, you know, it, very intelligently, extraordinarily well. People people who make him out to be like this, this like idiot you know, buffoon that sort of stumbled is is totally misguided. Like, you know, he is a very, very canny political operator. Um, and and he didn't he didn't you don't get into the White House by chance. Like you don't just walk in there unless of course you're rioting on Capitol Hill, in which case yes you do. Yeah. Just, just walk in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not like the police just open the gates for for anyone. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> But like talking about the power of memes, like the 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 whole GameStop saga is 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 just insane. Like, like yeah. I cannot, but like honestly, for me, it's it's the most like amusing and positive thing that has happened in the past year. Like it, like just just the like 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 the ape strong together memes on on Reddit that they're just cracking me up right now is that diamond hands diamond hold hands the line. hold the line exactly we, we <laughs> the moon. to the moon exactly to the moon i got my ticket um we made some t-shirts as well actually i'll link it in the description my friend and i <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I, but like that just shows you the power part of the meme and then and then you watch like it's it's this is going to be i think um like this podcast, I'll put it out next week. So I don't know what will happen by then. That's that's a long time in in uh, 2021. But it's it's going to be so interesting to watch like the like how strong the memes are versus like basically the entire media establishment and and Wall Street all pushing this narrative that like it was that the the redditors have abandoned GameStop. Like that was the craziest thing for me. Like I, I, on Monday, I was looking through the news and. And it's just like constant stories. My mom even sent me a few from the BBC. And it's just like, oh, you know, Redditors have abandoned GameStop. They've gone to silver. And then you look on Reddit and like the top post on like the front page, not just on Wall Street Bets, on the front page is like, do not buy silver. This is a distraction. <laughs> like, <laughs> you go, what the fuck is going on here? Like, and I can't even tell because because you, you could get like super conspiratorial about it and go, oh, you know, they're all working together. And then you just go, are these people just being lazy? Are they just looking for the clicks where they go, here's the next game stop with everyone looking for like the big the big investment opportunities or, you know, all the people sitting at home with, with not much to do looking looking for, you know, the next game stop. Is that just them jumping on that? Or is there like legit someone going, you know, you need to tell people that, you know, like there's some room with a whole bunch of guys with big fat cigars going, yeah, we need to get them off game stop <laughs> okay <laughs> no i i think no i think this i think the game i think i've, I've, I've found it i think fascinating as, as much as everyone has i mean obviously it's sort of it's been 
it's been meme meme driven um and i i don't think you can actually look i i don't think you can look beyond that because i i think really when when you examine uh sort of the motivations behind it i think a lot of people a lot of a lot of the sort of the, the gamestop buyers the people who are doing this short squeeze then i don't most of them they're not really they're not really doing it for for financial gain they're doing it for the fuck of it they're doing it because it's fun and the memes are a huge huge part of that um like there's a guy on wall street bets uh you uh you slash deep fucking value and he was like 50 mil up and he's lost he like he cashed out i think about 13 of it mm. 13 mil and he's and he's lost some more like he's not he's not doing it financially they're doing it because it's fun they're doing it to fuck with wall street um and and the memes and everything that's associated with it is 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 a huge part of it and initially i was like i i i i loved it i loved it because i it was like you know it's sort of call it grassroots it's sort of the democratization of you know challenging the monopoly of these hedge funds you know they're scumbags like the way the, the way the way they people might not be familiar with like typical shorting practices which by the way you know shorting is is a, is a totally respectable part of a healthy financial ecosystem because if you want to be able to buy buy things you know people should also be able to bet against them they correlate but however it, it is not unheard of for hedge funds in wall street to and and more broadly you know other other traders to aggressively short something to drive down its price and event and, and effectively and eventually collapse the company and, and profit profit from it you know they, they they initiate media speculation and and for them to then be going and, and and accusing these redditors of market manipulation when like that is you know their 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 stand their sort of modus operandi is frankly laughable what's also laughable actually was really funny was seeing the sort of ceo of nasdaq go on american broadcast media and be and like call for regulation which is like i think you know possibly the only time i've ever, I've ever seen you know, one of these finances be like yes we need more regulation so that tells you they're running scared and 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 it's and it and it's and it's really really funny but the other part of it and that, which is sort of the, the next place I went to when I was thinking about it is that uh, there's this idea from um, Marcuse called repressive desublimation, which is basically sort of within a within a within a system within a political system, a capitalist system, that you basically commodify any any, any challenge to sort of the ideology or the orthodoxy is commodified and sold, and therefore you sort of render it meaningless. You take away you take away its power. Uh, the obvious example is like uh, you know, communist revolutionary Che Guevara, uh, you know, who a lot of people don't even know that about him now. He's just a guy on a T-shirt that, that, that people buy. That's the, the most obvious example of it. But here, you know, you, we're talking about, OK, well, what's happening here? We've got we've got loads of low level sort of Reddit guys all agreeing that they're going to sort of drive this stock up, you know, squeeze the short of Wall Street. And then potentially, you know, it, I guess the question is what happens next? Because if they then sort of, you know, cash out, fade into obscurity, well, then the, uh, the it's, there's a very obvious, you know, there's a very obvious sort of um, repressive desublimation argument there because all these guys who challenged the financial system, challenged the orthodoxy, took on Wall Street, well, they all cashed out, and 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 now they live in penthouse apartments, and 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 the and the system continues, and it's it's mollified this this threat that was posed to it. So, what happens next is fascinating. 
Um, but I'm not necessarily all in like, okay, these guys are going to sort of, you know, remedy, remedy the world's ills. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of talk on Wall Street bets of like, okay, right, first we're going to take down Melvin Capital. And when they break, then it's going to be the clearing houses. And when the clearing houses break, then the whole of Wall Street's going to explode. And then there's just going to be, you're just going to see nothing but bankers jumping from the tops of buildings. And it's like, okay, guys, calm down. Like you might, you might get a little bit, uh, you, you know, like, like I'm all for, for, for trying to fuck with Wall Street. And, and you know, I, I hope that, that this brings more scrutiny of, of the practice of 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 hedge funds i mean like one of the one of the funniest things about this this whole saga was i saw an interview with um michael burry you know the guy uh who's played by christian bale in the big short and he 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 got in on on the gamestop stock early so he he's made like a i don't know if he sold his position or not or if he's still holding to the moon um but he he was complaining that he was like look uh, when I shorted the U.S. stock housing market, I had to go through thousands of pages of of like mortgage bonds and spend years of research and like like truly understand what was going on before I spotted like what what was actually happening here. And then um, right at the end, and then he was like, "But you know these redditors, like it's awesome what they're doing, but." Um, like fuck them. They, 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 they. All they've done, all they've done, is see a couple of memes, and they bought some GameStop stock, and now they're making the same like levels of profits that I was when I spent like years of of research, like looking at how to short the US housing market. <laughs> like he was mad at yeah. them for just jumping on yeah. a bandwagon. <laughs> I guess. Um, I guess as well. There's also the Wolf, the Wolf of Wall Street interviews that have been going around. Jordan, like the actual one, mm. Jordan Belfort is, you know, speaking to Sky News, and you can see there's a real glint in his eye when he's talking about it. Like he absolutely fucking loves it. He loves the fact that these that these guys are out there fucking with the system. Um, I guess because there are parallels and corollaries to what he was doing. Um, although what they're doing on Wall Street bets, I don't think is necessarily as illegal as what he was doing, but. <laughs> Um, you know, there, I think there are parallels between the two of them and just wanting to fuck with the system and fuck with these guys who, you know, sit on the power, sit on the cash and wanting to get in amongst it. I think that's something they share. Mm. I mean, I think it's important to remember that that guy was literally a crook. Um, and as much as Leonardo DiCaprio made him seem cool and accessible... Uh, he was like actually just like breaking the law in in a, in an industry where you have to do a lot to be considered to have broken the law, <laughs> <laughs> and and like he he was he was fucking with a with a lot of people. Um, so so I mean I I, I yeah I, I I'm I'm kind of like as as much as I find it really amusing to watch all the all the memes and like see some of his interviews with him getting like like happy about people fucking with wall street i'm also a little bit like well these guys are kind of doing it legitimately you were like just just like just the, one of the <laughs> one of the most like drugged up horrendously corrupt guys in 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 the history of wall street and again that's saying something <laughs> um, but yeah so so uh to, then right now we're we're kind of in the middle of this this period where there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff being removed from from Facebook. Like the Wall Street Bets uh, Facebook group was actually removed, actually, but uh, Facebook from Twitter from YouTube, um, and and we're in the middle of this like weird period where 
there's like a handful of billionaires in Silicon Valley who are suddenly in control of of what we are allowed to see. Uh, this this and I asked um, uh, Hardy uh, Mataru, the the editor of Byline Times, and she didn't really have much to say about this, and that kind of concerned me. But like, what do you make of the of the kind of spate of 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 censorship or control of of certain types of information? Like, what what do you make of that right now? Well, there's there's oh, there's a huge amount to unpack here, right? I mean, the first th- the first thing to say is like, you can't you can't you have you can't look beyond these companies. I mean, they they have market cap revenues larger than the GDPs of, of you know, a significant number of nation states. Um, they, they control, they control the information and it like, it's, it sounds enormously, it sounds really conspiratorial when you, when you, when you, when you say that, and, and uh, I'd caution against that because, you know, for example, like I interviewed uh, Stuart Lee uh, a couple of days ago and like, he's just not online. Like he's just not online at all. He, he, he was, he, he just opened the interview and he was like, "It's it's nice to be with you on this." Like he didn't he didn't really know what what, what, what was happening. And it was fun, it was it was funny, but like there are there are plenty of people still that aren't in the same digital social media ecosystem. That's going to change. Uh, you know, as as generational cohorts move onwards and onwards, you know, tech is adopted by younger by 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 younger people. It's going to it's going to you know. It's, I guess it's in the same way that, um, you know, not everyone used to have a television and, you know, there was sort of, you know, (sighs) radio, then telly, and now these things. And eventually it's going to become the case that everyone, you know, basically consumes not just their media, but, you know, large portions of their life are are used in uh, their, their smartphones. And I mean, part of me, urges caution because part of me is like you know um people said the same thing about the gutenberg press uh you know revolutionizing um you know publishing and and book production they said the same thing about radio they said the same thing about tv and it's and you know the same thing is said here that you know and i'm i'm not saying they're luddites but you know there is like there is like an element of of you know like these things are these arguments are repeated however um, the sort of the person the, the personalization of these of, of modern day um, sort of social media and and broad, broadly tech because you have to include Apple Apple isn't really a social media um, platform it, but you know it, it, it is sort of the medium and to a lesser extent Android it's the medium by which we get there and it has to be considered in these conversations Amazon probably as well and the way they harvest data, incredibly personal data, in a way that that's the, that's the new aspect of it. Okay, that's 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 worrying because yes, there have been other technological media revolutions, the ones I've already mentioned, radio, TV, etc. They did not collect and harvest data about people in the same way that these platforms do, and that's and that is the really really worrying aspect of it. That is the part that we have to be concerned about um, because. With that data, huge amounts of power. Um, the, I don't want to go to like Carol Cadwallader, Cambridge Analytica about this, mm. but you know, face, Facebook have done studies. They are available mm. where they have 
you know, peer, peer reviewed demonstrated that they are able to shift sentiment. They are able to change the way people think about things, um, to change their mood by depending on what they show them in the newsfeed. Um, it's, and then there's the other aspects of it, which in terms of publishing is like whether these guys are a publisher or a platform. And they, at the moment, they have it both ways. They've been able to, they've been able to say that they are a platform uh, and sort of, you know, put their hands up and say, whoa, you know, <laughs> nothing we can do about these far-right neo-Nazis organizing on our platforms. <laughs> what are we going to do about that? No, we're a platform, not a publisher. It's not our responsibility. Hmm. Um, and, and but then, you know, they, they just, they just, dem they demonstrably are, you know, look at, within Facebook, Facebook instant articles, you know, they, they are, uh, a medium of news people publish on there that you know, okay other other news publishers publish on there but it's it's just it's just like a, it's demonstrably a fallacy to suggest that these that these places aren't publishers because they they constantly are curating what every single user down to you know the most microscopic nano level of data and trying to drive engagement drive up your usage time show you more advertising they're curating what you see you know that's not being a platform that's 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 not like open open season the information's out there and you navigate around it they decide what you see they show it to you um and and you know obviously that's the big that's been the big debate it's been prompted by trump and his use of twitter uh and i guess also the other social platforms that have kicked him off mm. but um yeah there's it's I, I, th I really do think it's it's going to be one of the defining issues of our time um really good book actually by um dr shoshana zuboff um which I can't remember the full title for, but it's about uh, surveillance capitalism, and it discusses this idea. Uh, it's incredibly dense, and she does invent she does uh, invent some vocabulary and words. Uh, one of which I think is instrument instrumentarianism, which makes it quite slow going and a bit of a slog. But if you can if you can get through it, it's really really informative. I was, I was tricked as well because like, it opens with this like beautifully descriptive like narrative of her being somewhere in the America, I think it's in the American South and it's sort of raining and she's under a tin roof eating like jambalaya or something. And it's, I'm like, wow, like this is going to be a really good fucking read. Like I can't wait for this. And then it just descends into like the most technical, dense, uh, <laughs> really di difficult to access prose. But um, it, uh, it, is, it is a really, um, really important, well-researched uh, uh, look at, look at this problem. And, not enough people are talking about it. I mean, obviously, a lot of people are, but it, I, it's it's going to be one of the, the defining issues of our age, and we have we have to pay attention to it. Mm. I mean, there's a lot there that I want to ask you about. Uh, the first thing I want to mention is that, like, you you really you really like um, astutely pointed out that 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 we've seen like like revolutions in in our distribution of information all before like starting with the gutenberg press you could even go the whole way back to the the first when we first invented writing things down and plato didn't like yeah. it um, yeah. uh, and then so then we had radio and television and like for me the most interesting thing is that like for all these other other um modes of of communication that we established a regulatory body we decided what the parameters of what we considered was allowed like for example with tv we had the watershed um, or um, more, more crucially, actually, I think that we just, just decided in Britain, for example, a while ago, I don't know, I think it was in the 80s, that just like political advertising on TV was just not allowed. We just weren't going to say that was allowed because we thought that, um, I believe the theory was that politics should be on the doorstep and you shouldn't be able to campaign from behind a, behind a TV camera or in, in our case now behind a laptop. 
Um, and and like one of the things uh, that I actually like make the case for in my book is that we should just ban political advertising online. I think we should we should just just completely stop it uh, because like if if we thought that that advertising on television was was sort of a step too far then what the fuck are we doing letting people micro target adverts and the craziest thing for me is that like like i started writing my book because because i saw all these problems in in the british political system um that were like really beautifully highlighted by by the brexit vote like it it was a really great like case study for a lot of the issues that we have and it has been almost five years since the start of the of the campaign, like in earnest to leave the European Union. And we're still sat here having done nothing about it, like nothing. Like they had the, that, that DC, uh, DCMS committee on, um, on like uh, social media, Facebook, Russian interference, all of, all of the different sort of threads of it. And then they proceeded to do fucking nothing, like absolutely nothing. <laughs> like that's terrifying. Like, like we, we've realized that there's this huge problem, like with 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 the way like social media be, can, can be manipulated. Like um, as you mentioned, like like there, there's there's quite a lot of studies that that have shown that that Facebook can guess with like pretty terrifying accuracy, like where your personality sits on the uh, you get like a there's what's it the the ocean grass Briggs. Yeah. yeah, or Myers Briggs. Yeah, yeah, and like they they can they can they can they can assess with pretty accurate like pretty accurately that like where you start sit on on the, those particular scales. They can um, there's a couple of studies done, and the, the names of them escape me. But like on on there was the the the, the runoff election. Um, I think it was in. Oh my goodness! It was with. With Roy Moore the one in-, in America, with Roy Moore, the 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 guy, oh, right, yeah, Trump was behind. Anyway, so they they, they did the, the these guys did like a whole bunch of studies on that, and they showed that like they believed that they could like decrease the they could like depress the turnout of Republicans at, or like like change the the potential voting of like sort of independents who were leaning Republican or increase the the the. Uh, Increase the the turnout of of Democrats just based on on the, the the media diet that they were showing people in in adverts and like like even by a couple of percentage points like if that's accurate like we need to do something about that <laughs> like like yeah def- definitely but there's and you know there's um, was it Alabama that's it Alabama yeah uh, no definitely and look there's also um. Look, there's also there's also a liberal bias to these platforms. Like you can't you can't look past that. Like, and admittedly, it's been a pretty extreme example of it in America because the sort of the figure the figurehead of the Republican Party and sort of the right wing politics of the country literally, you know, could it's like whether 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 something's truth whether something is true or a lie. It's like it's apples and oranges. He's just like he doesn't that he doesn't distinguish between the two, and that, that that's a really difficult thing to moderate, mediate. How do you go about you know regulating or controlling that? And that, like, I'm not pretending I have like answers to those questions, mm. but there is there, like there is a there is a liberal bias, like the the sort of the um the. People in Silicon Valley, again, being being in America and like being around these kind of people, particularly in New York, um, 
you know that they are like they are like especially by uk standards they're like super left wing like you know the sort of their adoption of um you know sort of uh so they would call it sort of social justice um being progressive which i think in the uk is sort of is more intersectionality and sort of intersectional identity politics or or whatever like it's 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 really strong over there like it's a real it's a real it's a real phenomenon and it's not just I think we need to be careful of being like, okay, like these platforms have a responsibility to sort of, um, you know, moderate the like lunacy that was coming out of of the Trump White House and, and the Republican Party at the time. And then the enablers that have followed, you know, like Ted, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and the, the way that they've, they've sort of pandered to these ideas. Um, but like the, these platforms, like they're not... Then they're, they're not neutral. They're not objective. They have their own biases. There's some really good stuff actually on um, on AI. How basically, like, even if even if you can create sort of a deep learning algorithmic thing that'll inform itself and, and adapt and, and and shape and you know self teach and eventually get to that sort of state of higher learning, there's there's a pretty compelling you know field of study that demonstrates that like even like the biases of the people who produce the original code will inform the ai like if you don't if you don't have um if you don't if you don't have you know um enough women involved in the conception of the original code if you don't have enough um you know ethnic minorities people of different political persuasions then the sort of the implicit human bias, the subconscious that you can't like, you know, you you don't know you're doing it, but in everything you do, the way you think about the world informs how you interact with it. And even if you think you're doing your absolute optimum best to code, you know, totally objectively to create this sort of, you know, perfectly, perfectly neutral, chaotically neutral AI, your biases are still going to be present in your work and it could potentially inform the AI. And the same thing holds true in terms of these, in terms of these tech platforms, you know the biases of the people that work there, and there is an orthodoxy. You know, it, it is left wing, it's liberal um, at, at at these places. You know, you can sort of you sort of see that in the in the sort of um, the name is it James Damore, mm-hmm. the guy at Google, mm-hmm. with that with that memo he sent around. Yeah, and um, then he got fired, and then about a month later, the Google CEO uh, said, or the the CEO of YouTube literally said what he wrote in his memo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that, that was the, yeah the James Damore story was insane I felt so bad for the guy like I, I really did like he, he he wasn't trying to like bring attention he wasn't trying to like he wasn't trying to be controversial like he, I think someone said I can't remember who it was but they were like look he's an engineer and they asked him for feedback so he went away he looked at some stuff and he he, he created the feedback like they weren't actually looking for feedback but um, he went away and he put together some stuff and went, hey, you know, maybe maybe this is how <clears throat> like men and women might be like slightly different in the way their minds operate. And like, here's some cool ideas about how we might get more women into tech and, and then yeah, got vilified as a horrendous sexist. Uh, so I, I kind of felt bad for the guy. But I mean, there's there's a great line in that new song, um, Fake Woke by, by Tom McDonald. Uh, and it said censorship censorship's a problem because they choose what they erase. And I think that really speaks to like what you're talking about because you know if you if you were, if they were to come up with guidelines um, that that like assessed like what content was all right and then they applied it equally across the board, then then I don't think we'd be having the same problem as we are now where 
like the, it seems like sort of very arbitrary what they decide is okay and what what isn't like like you know they can take trump off twitter for for inciting violence or inciting the riot and yet there's like murderous dictators that still have a twitter account and you just kind of go well i mean i get why you remove trump but like then why is like x y and z all still allowed on 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 your platform um it's it's yeah and, and it, yeah and it, there's a cor- and there's a correlation here as well to the um to the uh wall street bets reddit stuff because there's this um you know that some of the apps that suspended trading on robin hood um you know you could still buy you know shares in 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 arms manufacturers that you know are create that create the bonds that are dropped on yemen you know you know what i mean it's like um you you always have to have a degree of skepticism uh, about about the motivations behind stuff, and if the ethics of it are real, uh, or it, if there's sort of naked pragmatism about it. And and I think oftentimes because because of the nature of human beings, it's often actually the latter. Mm. I mean, I, I I have I I like I feel slightly proud. Like we started putting I started putting this stuff on YouTube like a couple of months ago. Um, and then I just have my first video removed um, for talking about something. I'm not going to mention it so, so that this doesn't get removed. But I was talking about something. Um, no, I'm, I'm a little concerned because my book's coming out and I don't want to say the wrong thing because if I get flagged again, then I can't, I can't post for a while. But um, I, got, I, got, I, got, I, got, I got it removed for, it, they didn't tell me, tell me exactly, but it seems that it was something that I had referenced that was literally in about five or six different major publications. And I was saying, I was complaining because like a video of about a similar thing had also been removed on YouTube. And I was like, hang on, how can you do this? Like, like it's in like major publications. Like why, why can you say that this is not okay? Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I feel like was like majorly controversial. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's confusing sometimes because the, I think it's the lack of accountability that that that, that terrifies me, and and it's the same as like those 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 uh, those like uh, a lot of apps actually suspended trading on on GameStop, on AMC, on BlackBerry, and Nokia, all all just those four, and and yet like no, no the, the, there is no there's no re- there's no recourse like for, for you know there's no there's no way to like voice your grievance and have someone address it like at least. Like people can say, oh, you know, we don't want the government controlling this sort of thing. And you go, well, okay, right. Fair enough. I understand your fear of like government tyranny. But like the, the, the point is that, that we have the recourse to like get rid of them and change it. Like if, if we vote them out, like, that's, like it might not be a perfect system. It's definitely not at the minute, but like at least we have that option. Like, I mean, I think, I think what, what Trump showed actually was that and what Jeremy Corbyn almost almost showed and what Brexit showed was that like if people are legit like that angry at the system they have a way to change it like like you might not like the fact that we left Europe I'm I'm, I'm I, I, I really hated it at the time I'm not sure how I feel about it now watching the EU be so childish about the vaccines um but but like there is at least like a, a recourse like that's why we that's why people created like the, the the democratic systems that we have now is because that you could at least do something about it. Like when Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or or Robinhood or anyone like stops you doing something that, that that you believe you should be able to do, like okay, yeah, you can leave the platform, 
but like not everyone's going to do it. You don't have any vote. You don't have any say in it really. And aside from like, like voting with your feet as, as the free marketeers like to say, like you don't really have like a, some way to, to, to get justice. And yeah, I, I think that's the, that's the, the, the we're really going to have probably have to have some sort of conversation about like how we, how we classify these, these big platforms. Like, like you said, like they're not a platform, they're not a publisher. And, and we probably need to figure out where, where we stand on them. Like, where do you, where, what do you think about the idea of like a digital bill of rights? That's complex. I don't, I mean, I don't entertain it. I, there's no, for me, one of the initial, this, one of the, that's difficult, right? The fact, one of the founding tenets of the internet is that it is free, open, you know, minimal censorship, um, sort of, uh, is that it's free, it's open, there's minimal censorship. Those are sort of the founding principles of it. And then introducing a Bill of Rights is like, okay, well, is this legislation right? You know, uh, do I want to, do you want to control this thing? Who would write it? What would the rules of it be? It's an interesting idea for sure. Like, I guess the way I would, I would sort of draw, the way I'd talk about it would be in terms of, you know, codified constitution versus an uncodified constitution, right? And I think you can put, I think you can pinpoint a lot of the problems, for example, in America on its written constitution. I think one of the great things about our political system in this country is that we don't have one that, you know, you, you can adapt, you can, you can shift, you can change to the sort of the political circumstance, the reality that you find yourself in. Um, and I feel like on a place like the internet, which <laughs> is sort of in, you know, exponentially changing, expanding, and, and really, you know, there isn't, there isn't any one set path that it's going to go down. And, you know, the way we think about things now compared to where they're going to be in five years time. I mean, people will think that this, I mean, this, this concept of what we're doing now, podcasting might even be rendered irrelevant with, you know, by that time. Um, <laughs> And if you have a codified document that is sort of responsible for managing that, I think you could very easily quickly end up in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a difficult place, a trapped place equally. You know, do I think there should be some level of legislation against things like a snoopers charter, like, um, you know, the massive, massive um, espionage being conducted by the NSA, you know, monitoring basically every single piece of internet communication that exists. You know, if you think that the conversation you're having is encrypted, I mean, it, it, outside of like very few, like select end-to-end -end private services, most of what you think is is not, it is not, but they are watching, they're listening. Uh, being protected against that sounds fantastic. Um, limiting you know, the, the level of data harvesting that um, these social media apps can do. Also, you know, in favor of that. How do you, I, I get, and I appreciate there's sort of, a, there's a paradox here between me saying, you know, I'm sort of against codifying it, but then I think of it like how else, how else do you legislate or, you know, protect against it? Is there any, is there any way of doing it without that physical, you know, codified documentation of digital bill of rights i don't know it's an interesting idea mm. i don't i haven't i don't know if i have a specific 
if I'm pro or against it. I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's where we're meant to have politicians is to make these these difficult decisions. But I guess I guess I don't really believe in their intent their 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 capacity to be to be either like objective or intelligent enough to figure out what the right decision is. <laughs> um <clears throat> I'm far more in yeah. favor maybe of the idea of, of citizens' assemblies on these kind of things. Um, I kind of have a bit more trust in, in ordinary people, strangely enough, um, than I do in politicians. Yeah, me too. Uh, which is weird. Um, I never, like if you said like six years ago, like Josh, you know, you're going you're gonna to believe that ordinary people can make better decisions on very complex topics than politicians and, and our elected leaders. I'd go on, it's not a good idea. Um, but I guess I guess now I kind of feel like your politicians are, aren't any smarter and or, or better qualified and are probably more likely to be corruptible than than the ordinary person on the street, especially if you're just doing it like picking them out of a hat, like like they're they're meant to for a citizens' assembly. But uh, yeah, one of one of the big one of that's one of the big arguments for me in favour of um, the House of Lords, actually, which you know is something that I'm not. I'm not enormously in 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 favour of you know sort of hereditary titles and people governing by birthright, but you know it is it allows for the appointment of experts, you know people who have made their career, their life, their life's work. You know they might be I don't know uh, marine biologists, scientists, business people, mm-hmm. um, farmers. I mean like people who actually are like experts in a field of work. And I think there's an enorm- there's enormous benefit of having those people involved in 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 governance, you know, to be able to provide an expert's view on certain bits of legislation. Like, I think that's enormously valuable. Um, those people also just exist, like across the country more more generally, and you can also access them by things. You know, if you have a if you have a citizens assembly of let's say a hundred people, like you are going to end up with some people who literally are like top of their field. Um, you know, have real expertise in things and, and, and are able to analyze and contribute to them, um, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But then, but then, you know, how do you, how do you put those people in there? How do you get them in? How do you get them in there without any, any kind of democratic accountability is obviously the massive trade-off there. Yeah. It's difficult. It's, it's, it's not, it, who, who would have thought governing a country was easy or was <laughs> difficult even um, who would have thought it could be, could be difficult. But okay, so Ollie, final final question then. Um, have you got any predictions whatsoever for 2021? Or are you just like leaving that blank? <laughs> ah. um. Okay, well, look, p- political predictions are generally a fool's errand anyway. More broadly, I mean, I, I hope. <laughs> that we sort of we, we get we get back to gigs we get back to live comedy we get back to sport we get we get to uh socially interact and engage we, with each other which is something that you know i'm certainly missing mm. and i think also as well there's this possibility for there to be a sort of broader wider cultural revolution that's that can that can happen because of what we're currently experiencing right now, I think it's inevitable that something, you know, there's going to be this sort of explosion of creativity to come. I look forward to that, whether it happens in 2021. I don't know. Um, 
certainly hope so. Um, it, it's all reliant on what happens with with sort of vaccination, the rollout of it, and then you know how what degree of normalcy we return to. Yeah. Well, here's the, the, those all sound like wonderful things. I I look forward to it. And uh, yeah, so the, it's been a it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks very much. No, Josh, it's been uh, it's been a real good chat. Thank you for having me on. I'll, I'll I'll happily come back. Yeah. Well, hopefully, like my my plan is like my plan my plan before this year was to be to to be looking at already moving to London this year, but um, I, I'm not sure last year even, but I'm not sure when when that's going to happen. But when when I when I eventually get when the world sort of sorts itself out and I can get myself there, um, I'll get to, I'll get a studio set up and we'll maybe get to do this in person. Yeah, Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.